Welcome to the 10-Minute Food Truck Training Podcast. My name is Bill Moore. I am a food truck business coach, author of five food truck vending books, including Food Truck 101 and Food Truck 201. This podcast is all about helping you start and grow your food truck business. This episode marks the 400th episode of 10-Minute Food Truck Training, and it also coincides with a celebration we're having on our Facebook group. We just became the largest private food truck-related group on Facebook this weekend. We have more than 43,000 members. So it's a little bit of a celebration for both of those milestones. I'm going to share a little bit of the history and some of the struggles that we overcame in creating not only the Facebook page, but all of the things that we do for all of our clients. I hope you guys know how much I love the food industry. Not just food trucks and trailers and carts and tents, but restaurants too. For me, there's nothing more exciting than running a perfect lunch service where all the food comes out on time, it comes out hot, it comes out fresh, and you get a whole bunch of people that are happy and very well fed. That is something that I absolutely love. You guys may recall that I started way back in 1977, and I've worked for a whole bunch of different companies and a whole bunch of different people, all from the restaurant industry. I can't imagine doing anything other than food service, especially today. But as I got older, having worked in food service for so long, my body started to show the strain of working 10-hour days on concrete floors. In 2008, I was diagnosed with a bulging disc that was pushing on a cluster of nerves in in my lower back that was causing numbness and a whole bunch of pain down both of my legs. I couldn't even ride in a car because just one little teeny tiny bump and I was in severe pain. The problem with going to see doctors is they refer you to surgeons. And anytime you see a surgeon, the only solution they ever see involves a knife. So they wanted to do surgery on me, but I said nope. I left my job at Whataburger, and then I spent the next 10 months working weekends at a flea market, and then I would spend the rest of the week recuperating from having worked that weekend in the flea market. It took a little over a year, but a miracle happened. The pain essentially went away. It became manageable, and now today, I don't hurt at all, except every once in a while. But I'll accept that. Didn't have to have surgery. In 2010, I started having leg pain had a lot of varicose veins, again from standing on my feet for all of those years and being way too stubborn to sit down. After a couple of doctor's visits, they would drain the excess blood and make the veins shrink in size, but they said, you're going to have to have surgery. I didn't want to have surgery. I was happy with them just draining it and getting a few good months of pain-free activity. So my body said, hey, let's make it even more difficult. So in 2012, I started having issues catching my breath. Issues like I would bend over and pick up a box of fries and would be exhausted. And if I opened that box of fries, I needed to go sit down immediately afterwards. I would be exhausted from just that little teeny tiny bit of exercise. And the doctors couldn't find anything wrong. They ran a whole bunch of different tests and had me do all kinds of different things. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. But it got worse and worse. Then in 2014, my old district manager from Burger King called me up and asked me to come back and work for them. They wanted me to fix a problem store that they had. And it was actually a store that Melissa used to run. It was about a decade before when she ran it. And it was actually also the only Burger King in our area that I had never run. So it was kind of like a little bit of a homecoming. Everybody was excited to have me come back. And it was a store that I'd never worked in before. But my body had other plans. I started having daily chest pains. And after about a month or so of of me complaining about it, Melissa just drug me to the hospital. And they admitted me. But I didn't have a heart attack. But they suspected there's some type of blockage somewhere causing that pain, so they ran a whole bunch of tests. I was in the hospital for 
two days and they ran tests almost every single hour doing something different. And they concluded that I had what's called arterial bridging. Now, it sounds really serious, but it's really fairly common. Most people don't even know they have it. And the only time it ever gets discovered is if they die early in life and they do an autopsy. And that's one of the things they'll note on the autopsy. So, oh, look, they have arterial bridging. What that means is the arteries that feed the heart itself, actually some section of that artery goes underneath the heart muscle. Just barely, but just enough so when the heart contracts, it closes off that artery. So as somebody like me gets older and doesn't eat really, really well, because, you know, 35 years worth of eating fast food for every single day, a little bit of hardening of the arteries, as they call it. So again, the solution was, let's do surgery. Take some of those varicose veins out of your legs and we'll put them in your heart and create a little bypass going over the part that goes underneath the heart muscle. But I had a bunch of those. It wasn't just one or two. I had a bunch. So it was going to take a lot of recovery time and probably multiple surgeries. Again, not something that I wanted, wanted to do. The negative to that is exercise. Just Again, bending over and picking up a box of fries makes the heart beat faster because the heart's trying to give you more blood to help you do the exercise that you're doing. But the more faster the heart beats, the more it's contracting and not allowing blood to pass through those little bridges. Then it creates a pain that mimics angina. faster the heart beats, the less blood actually gets to the heart. So it's a vicious cycle. And again, how to fix it? Had to have surgery. But I had stuff to do and I didn't want to mess with surgery. So in 2015, I noticed that my left eye was starting to have a little teeny tiny gray spot in it. My dad had had cataracts. He had glaucoma. So I figured, well, I'm probably going to have cataracts too. It took my dad a number of years from the discovery of the cataracts to the point where they wanted to do surgery. He ended up passing away before they ever did the surgery, but it took a long time. So I figured 2015, I got plenty of time. Well, that's not exactly what happened. By 2017, my left eye was completely covered over and I couldn't see anything out of it except light and dark. I couldn't make out shapes, couldn't make out colors, couldn't do anything with that left eye, which makes your depth perception really, really off. But then in 2017, my right eye started showing the same little gray spot. So now I'm thinking I got about two years left and I don't be able to see anything at all. I was also making myself be homebound. That lack of eyesight made me so nervous whenever I went out in public, I would experience chest pains from those arterial bridges. And it was just making everything too stressful for me to be outside of the home. I couldn't even go shopping because I was always afraid of running into people or running into products that would be out in the middle of the aisles. It was just not pleasant for me. I stayed home. Melissa took care of me. She would put stuff directly in my hands, and she was a, a big help to keep a little bit of my sanity. We ended up buying a big computer with a big 32-inch monitor so I could at least have some connection to the outside world. As long as I sat about 12 inches in front of the monitor, I was able to read like I could normally. And I used that connection to the outside world to try to find some solution for my rapidly failing eyesight. And I found a program. I found a program that would cover the cost of the surgery, but they had a restriction. They would only do one eye. And I thought, well, that's fine. At least I'll be able to see out of one eye, and that'll, that would be not a problem. It's a good trade-off. I told myself, you know, I used to have a hot dog cart. The name of the hot dog cart was Pirate Dogs. So, hey, I'll just wear an eye patch. No big deal. Everything fits. And I was super excited until I actually went to the doctor that was going to do the surgery. And he's one of those doctors that has been around the world. He's done all kinds of neat things. He's one of the best eye surgeons in the United States. 
So I go to his office in Tallahassee, Florida, and he puts me through an extremely thorough eye exam. He's got different people coming in. They're doing exams. They're doing different tests on me. He comes in and does tests on me. And I was in there doing tests for probably two to three hours. And then the doctor comes in after leaving me in the little dark room for about 15, 20 minutes. He comes in and says, I know you don't want to hear this, but you have detached lenses. And what that does is it makes the surgery more complicated and it won't be covered by our program. Now, I was so excited to be able to to see again and to see clearly. I was excited to know that I wouldn't even need to wear glasses because they would at least fix the one eye to where I could see. But they couldn't because of a problem with the way my eyeball was formed. Basically what had happened is there was nothing to hold the replacement lens because what they do is they actually take out your lens because it's all covered in cataracts and then they put in an artificial lens. But I didn't have anything that would hold that. The surgeon explained that there's a real serious chance that you could go blind. If the surgery was to happen, it would require not only an eye surgeon, but a general surgeon as well. Because if you've you've never had cataract surgery, it's basically an in-office procedure. They give you the little anesthesia that makes you aware of everything, but you don't don't feel the pain. But you're not asleep, per se. But you are very, very groggy. They would have had to put me to sleep and have the general surgeon there, an anesthesiologist, and it would be a big production. And, of course, their program wasn't going to cover it. Well, I'm sure you guys have heard the old saying, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Well, my friends, I had a whole bunch of lemons, and I needed to make something out of those lemons. Figured I had a couple of good years left before I wouldn't be able to see and Melissa would have to handhold me the rest of my life. So I started writing a book to answer a real problem in the food truck, the hot dog cart space. There's a whole bunch of self-appointed gurus out there that say they know everything and they'll teach you how to make a whole bunch of money selling hot dogs for the low, low price of. So the first book that I wrote was called Putting the Cart Before the Dog. And it was written as a direct response to a book that's written by one of those gurus I just mentioned. His book is so full of food safety violations and just horrible marketing ideas that I know he never ever did any of them. For the average reader with no food service background, the book makes sense. Makes it sound kind of easy, actually. But if you have a background in food service, you know the book is full of broken rules and absolutely useless marketing ideas. But hey, it's well written. It's written at the fifth grade level. Anybody could read it. I had bought that book in Kindle form. I just wanted to stay abreast of what was going on in the industry. And I figured, well, somebody's writing about a hot dog cart. Hey, it can't be all bad because after all, I had had two hot dog carts in the past and a hot dog trailer. So it was going to be light reading for me something fun. As I said, from my earlier description, you know what I found. And I was so disgusted. And I was just rambling one day about how useless the book was and how I felt sorry for anyone that would ever read the thing. And I just ranted and raved to Melissa, just complaining about how bad the book was. And I ended my little rant with, well, I could do better than that. And she said, well, do it. Basically, she wanted me to shut up whining and, and do something about it. So I did. I could sit back and whine about, you know, my chest and my heart and my eyes and my back and my legs and I can't and I can't and I can't or I could just do something. Now, it took a better part of a year, but I did write a 180 page book on how to be successful with a hot dog cart. And I laid out the rules so you could still follow and be successful following the rules that your health department lays out. It's not as they're trying to make it impossible. There are ways to be successful still following those rules. That book was published in November of 2017. And to this day, and I'm talking about as of June 11th, as I'm recording this, of 2023, we've sold a whopping 70 copies. 
my YouTube channel, Food Vendor Reality, started in December of 2017. It was a response to all that bad information that was circulating about hot dog vending. That's where the name comes from. Reality. There's no hype, no sales pitches, just explaining how it is. So far we've done 63 videos, we have 1,200 subscribers, and all those videos have been viewed more than 32,000 times. It's a nice number, but still not reaching enough. I have more lemonade to make. I joined a number of Facebook groups, both hot dog and food truck specific, when I started writing my book, because I just wanted to make sure that what I remembered was still what was happening today. And a lot of those groups were okay sources. Most of them had decent advice. Some of them were populated, though, with very loud, very cynical people that would just jump down somebody's throat whenever they said, hey, I want to do this. And they said, no, you can't do that. And in some cases, it was, yes, they could do that. Even some of the admins of those groups, they were either very hands-off or they had no real experience in the industry. You would look at their personal profile and it would say things like, hey, I sell real estate. Hey, I'm a used car salesman. Hey, I work in a factory. But they started a food truck group and even may have owned a food truck, but it wasn't the primary thing on their personal profile. So they weren't proud of the fact they sold food. They kind of hid it. And that was consistent across a whole bunch of different groups. Every once in a while, you'd run across a group that was ran by somebody in the restaurant industry that was looking to get into a food truck. That was a super rare experience. And then a whole bunch of the groups were started by people that had something to sell, like a food truck or a food trailer. And I participated in a bunch of those groups. I was giving all kinds of advice. I was putting my spreadsheets in their file section. I was doing everything I could to help people be successful because that's what I want to do. I like helping people. I answered every single question. And occasionally I would challenge some of those cynical people with facts and opinions that would be outside of their limited scope of experience. Sometimes it would shut them up. Sometimes they would just bicker back and forth, hanging on to what they thought was reality when, in fact, the reality they saw was only in their particular neck of the woods. And if they would just open the horizons a little bit, they could have made more money, been faster with speed of service, had a better menu, but they chose to be closed-minded. I made a bunch of friends and I also made a bunch of haters. I wanted to start my own group and I wanted to run it the way I ran my carts and my trailers and my restaurants. I wanted to do things the right way, the efficient way, the profitable way. But I really didn't think I had anything to offer as far as a big group. After all, I was half blind on the way to being completely blind. I couldn't even wash the dishes after eating dinner because I needed a nap halfway through washing the dishes. I was full of self-doubt. I was full of self-pity. And I might have been just like you are when you're thinking about your food truck business. Now, I went on to write my second book. It's called Taking It to the Street in 2019. And it's sold so far 108 copies. And from a writer's perspective, that would be two failures and months and months of wasted time writing and editing. During this writing phase, so we're still talking 2019, I got into more food truck and food trailer groups. I still wanted a group of my own, but just didn't think I could do it. Couldn't even see half the time. I did find one group, though, that I thought the membership and the engagement within the group and the knowledge base of most of the members was not too bad. And I started spending more and more of my time there to the point of actually it being exclusive. It was a group that had about 15,000 members and it was growing daily. And there were dozens of engagements every single day, bunch of posts every day. Some of it was good. Some of it was bad, but hey, it was still engagement. People were talking to each other. The group was ran by a single admin with no moderators. And my thought was to help make the group be amazing 
and then maybe then the admin would notice me and, and promote me to moderator. Because I figured at some point, because he was another one of those people that started a group but really didn't have the background to start it. He wanted to learn from other people. He wanted to do a food truck. He was a bar owner. And he had actually been given that group from someone else. So after months of helping, after months of posting, helped dozens and dozens of members, no one seemed to notice or seemed to care what was going on. So out of frustration, I started my food truck training group. I started it on 1-1 of 2020. And I debated a long time before I ever started it, but I did start it. I figured it's a new year, a new decade. Why not? I invited seven people I knew had a food truck or a food trailer or even a hot dog cart. And then I just started posting content. And while I was posting that content, I also began writing my third book, which is called Food Truck 101 Beginner to Winner. And that book was published in August of 2020. By that point in August of 2020, we had exactly 115 members. COVID was making the daily news cycles. Restaurants were closing right and left. People were leaving their jobs, getting into new careers. And even the food trucks at that point were struggling. But a whole bunch of people were starting to get into the food truck industry, and they needed good help. They didn't need the cynicism of all these other groups. Now, the one good thing that came out of COVID, the government loves throwing money at problems. All the money and all the programs that they opened up also allowed me to find a surgeon that would fix not only the one eye, but both eyes. I was hoping for just that they could fix the one so I could at least see a little bit. I would have been happy. Took them several doctor's visits, several trips to Tallahassee to a different doctor, and he was one of those folks that uh, he did all kind of tests, but they were not the, let's use this electronic device and let's use this electronic device. He actually numbed my eyes and was poking on them with a little teeny tiny hammer. He said, no, you don't have detached lenses. You don't have detached retina. You're fine. And he's sitting there just poking at it and poking at it. Of course, I couldn't feel it, but I could see the movement out of the corner of my eye going, okay, that should be hurting and it's not. He says, yeah, I can do this. No problem. And he did. We made several trips again back and forth from Tallahassee, but he was able to fix it. Didn't have to worry about the lenses slipping. He said, yeah, you're fine. No problem. And he was able to fix it towards the end of 2020. And then early in 2021, we, he did the second eye. So let's get back to the groups. I finally asked the admin of the one much larger group, the one I was talking about, the one that had 15,000 people, just to make me a mod. He said, you need the help. You're not getting all these, these scammers and all the people that are just bickering back and forth. Let me help. So he reached out to me and basically did a little interview on Messenger. And then the very next day, he made me a moderator. So for the next several months, I helped to double the size of that group. It had taken the group two years to reach 15,000 people. And after I started moderating the group, it grew to 30,000 in about 10 months. Then the admin thought my group was direct competition. Now, during our little messaging back and forth, I let him know I have a teeny tiny group. Didn't want him to, to think I was trying to do something behind his back. So he knew my group existed. He actually even joined the group so he could see what I was writing. He could see what I was writing in his group and he could see the similarities. There wasn't anything I was doing other than one thing every time we got in a group of people. At first, every time it was 10 people, I was celebrating 10 people. Then it became 20, and then 50, and then 100. And that's where we are today. Every time we hit 100, we celebrate the 100 new people. And I always say something positive about the group. Well, he got mad at one where I said that, you know, we're working to be the best group on Facebook. He messaged me saying, well, my group's going to be just as good as yours. And he essentially fired me from being a moderator. That was on 5-2 of 2021, May the 2nd. 
The food truck training group, my group, on that date had 5,168 members compared to the 15,000 that I brought into his group during the same time frame. They were at 30,000 people total membership. Food truck training group was no threat to anybody. They had six times the amount of membership, but he was afraid of me. All I wanted to do was help that one group grow. In the back of my mind, I thought, well, this dude was already given the group, so at some point he's going to get tired of it and give it away. And I figured if I'm an admin, he's probably going to give it to me. And then I would have a huge group of people that I could help. And then, of course, there's that little bit of vanity and being able to say, I have the biggest Facebook group relating to food trucks. So once I got fired, I did what Zig Ziglar says. If you ever get fired, you need to get fired up. I concentrated on my group and for the most part left all the other groups. I stopped participating unless something was posted that I knew would hurt somebody. And then I would answer that. One month after the termination, I started tracking both my numbers in Food Truck Training Group and the numbers on that other group. On 6-6 six, six of 2021, we had 7,203 members. The other group had 31,611. By October of 21, I started tracking all of the largest Facebook groups, the five largest, in fact. I wanted to compare their growth to the growth of food truck training. On that date in October, we had 14,300 members. The next closest group was ahead of us by 2,300 people. So there were five other groups, more people than us. My goal was to pass all of those groups. Not that we were just growing, but that we'd also have valuable content that people would want to read. But I also had in the back of my mind that probably the best we could ever do would be second place. Because I had noticed that all the other groups, except for the one that was still continuing to grow, the other groups were stagnant. They were putting in a dozen people a week, 10 people a week. Some of the groups were actually losing people. But I figured we would at least settle into that strong second place. And there's not a problem with second place. In a lot of ways, the second place is the better business because they're learning from the mistakes number one makes. And then something happened. I told you I had a prediction that that other admin would probably get tired of his group and give it away. And that's what he did. Well, he didn't give it away. He sold it. So he broke a few Facebook rules and he sold the logins to a builder. And that builder already had the third largest group. So now he has the number one group and the number three group. Now I'm talking private groups. Public groups are different. It's easier to be a member of a public group. So you would think that that move would ensure the number one group would remain the number one group. After all, they had so many members that duplicated from the two groups. Well, it didn't. The new admin to this, what was the largest group on Facebook, added a dozen more moderators and admins, and he focused the group on his products. Even though the group has a no advertising policy, he broke it continually. He effectively changed it from being a help group to being a sales group. This was January of 2022. We had 16,000 members. They had 36,000 members. And I still thought third, I still thought second place would be about as good as we could get. The larger group's growth, it had ground to a halt. At that point, their engagement matched ours. But remember, we had 20,000 less members, but we were producing the same amount of engagement. This means people posted more frequently, commented more frequently, liked posts more frequently than the other group did. As the summer of 2022 progressed, the changes in tone of that group also changed. By the fall, the engagement was down 40%, and we had grown another 12,000 people, while in that same time frame, they had only grown 4,000 people. 
everybody in my group, my friends, Melissa, the biggest supporters I have of the folks I've helped with their food trucks are saying the same thing. You're going to catch them. You're going to catch them. You're going to be the biggest group. And I still wasn't confident. The trends consistently indicated we would catch them sometime in late 2023. I deal with numbers. I deal with numbers every day. I've done this since the early 80s. Numbers reveal patterns. Patterns can be used to make very highly accurate predictions. That's why when I coach people, when I talk about food trucks on the videos, I talk a lot about numbers because numbers are reliable. On January 1st of 2023, we had 33,427 members. We had become only the second private group to ever cross 30,000 members. Two other groups that should have crossed before us, they both stalled in the 29,000 range, and they're still languishing there today. On May 2nd of 2023, we crossed 40,000 members. So far this year, the largest group has put in 1,321 people compared to our group has put in 9,613. On June 9th of 2023, we caught them. We have more members than they do. Now, they could leapfrog us in the near future. It is possible. You see, I let in people every single day, all throughout the day. Very rarely will I let a request for membership in our group sit more than a few hours. If I do let it sit more than a few hours, it's because I'm busy talking to other food truck owners. Now, that other group seems to let people in once or twice a week. And I actually have records that show earlier this year they were only letting people in once a month because they would be negative growth several weeks. And then one week they'd have a big positive bump. One thing that makes me certain that we should stay in first place is going back the last two years, there's only been two weeks that they put in more people than we have in a single week. So out of 104 weeks, we have won 102 of those. It's time to celebrate. We're number one, but tomorrow's a new day. There are a couple of dozen brand new groups that get started every single month. Some of them languish, some of them grow. Some of them are started by people who think they know everything. Some of them are started by people that are marketers and they get your attention because they do really funny videos or they have 5,000 edits in a video to get attention of people that have no attention span. The problem is the people that are attracted to that kind of video and that kind of editing, they're not going to be successful in the food business because the food business can be very monotonous. You don't have a new squirrel running in front of you every single day. And if you get distracted by all those fancy edits... You're going to be distracted on that food truck. You're not going to grow consistently because your, your mind is not where it needs to be. Because you're looking for that next shiny thing. Your food truck journey is the same as those groups. It's the same as what we've experienced. You have in you right now the seeds of greatness. You have the potential to be the most popular food truck ever. You can do this. Don't let your lack of self-confidence stop you. Don't let health issues stop you. Don't let the lack of knowledge stop you. You can go out and achieve whatever you want. Make a plan and make it happen. And when life gives you those lemons, go ahead and make lemonade and figure out how to sell it. Thank you so much for listening to the 10-Minute Food Truck Training Podcast. If you're finding all the information helpful to your food truck business, please become a monthly supporter of the podcast. Just hit the support button or follow the link in the description. Every little bit does help keep us going. 
Join our Facebook group. It's called Food Truck Training. We have a whole bunch of awesome members at all different levels from brand new beginners to decades old veterans. They've all got your back when it comes to helping you with your food truck. And again, thank you for listening. Come back tomorrow because you know I got plenty more to say when it comes to helping you and your food truck business grow.